Our sermon series, our fall sermon series, why do we do that? And so we're asking some questions about why we do certain things as a church. And this morning we're asking the question, why do we organize? Why do we organize? Like, why does the church have any form of organization at all? And it's a, it's a good question because how many of you have heard the phrase, organized religion only hurts people? Put your hand up. How many of you have heard that phrase? Yeah, most of us. In fact, this week I went to the St. Louis Park Courthouse to get a marriage form notarized and they know me there because I've been in quite a bit over the last couple of years and as I walked in they're like, here's the marriage guy. And so I walked up to the desk to get this form notarized and I was, I was, as I was waiting for the process to, to get done, we started this conversation. They, they started asking me more questions about like, so do you just marry people at the church? Are you like the young adults pastor? And I was like, no, I'm the real pastor. <laughs> they're like, what? You're way too young to be the real pastor. I was like, I know. I they're, they don't know what they're doing letting me be the pastor, but for some reason they let me be the pastor. And so this conversation continued to go, and both of the ladies working at the front desk were like, I don't know, no good comes from organized religion. And it was interesting being in that conversation, right, because I'm one of the reasons, I'm, I, I, part of my job is to help organize our church, and we don't necessarily see ourselves as a religion, it's Christianity is a relationship with Jesus, but, but in their minds, like, okay, you pastor a church, and so your job is to organize, and we've been hurt by religion. They both shared with me their stories of growing up in certain churches and feeling hurt by the, by the church and by the organization, by the leadership of the church. And so I just said, hey, that's, it's pretty ironic, actually. I'm preaching about that exact thing this Sunday. I didn't decide this sermon because of my conversation with them. I was already working on this sermon, and then I had this conversation with them. And it just reminded me of this reality that so many people are hurt by organized religion, whether it's organized Christianity or another form of organized religion. And, and some of this is just people's own baggage and, and, and judgment of the church, right? But some of it is legitimate. In fact, myself, as a, as a becoming a pastor of a church is kind of an interesting story because I went through this season of my life where I really loved Jesus, but I didn't think that the church had any relevance to my relationship with Jesus, and I didn't think that the church had any effect in reaching non-believers. The reality is within a three-mile radius of this building, there's 83,000 people around, 83,000 people who have no meaningful connection with the local church. And I, I was working at a church, and I had brought some of my non-believing coworkers to church, and, and they had some of the common misconceptions that our culture has about organized religion or the organized church. The Sunday that I happened to bring them to church, the, the message was on money. And as I had a conversation with them, and as I had a conversation this week with two ladies in St. Louis Park, and, and as I've had conversations with many people outside of the church, here's a common conception of the church or just organized religion in general, and the church falls into that. Organized religion just wants to maintain control, exert power, and take my money. That's what a lot of people around us think. In fact, I used to think that way, and, and I still think that way about organized religion in a lot of churches, because it's true, is it not? Some of you have probably been hurt by churches where really this was the, kind of the spirit of the church, and Maybe it wasn't intentional, but it became the spirit of the church where, where leaders became power-hungry, and, and they wanted to squelch any movement that, that wasn't their idea, and they wanted to snuff it out, and they wanted to exert their own power, and, and you hear money's ask, churches asking for money, and so this is a common conception of people around us, even of people within the church, even among your pastor. I, I think many churches and many organized religions actually have this mindset. They wouldn't admit it. They wouldn't say, yes, this is really what we want, but, but I think there's plenty of leaders in churches and in organized religions that, that kind of go sideways. 
And, and their efforts to organize really are led by this desire to maintain control, to exert their power, and to take your money and to make sure that the budget stays balanced, right? And so back to the question, why do we organize? If that's the common conception, why do we organize? Last week we talked about gathering. We saw the biblical necessity for Christians to gather. You can't actually be a Christian or call yourself a disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus, if you don't gather with other Christians. That's very clear in the scriptures. But the next step then is, what does that gathering require? What kind of organization does that gathering need? Does it need a church building? Does it need a pastor? Does it need elders? Does it need anyone in leadership? Does it need to have formalized membership? Like, how much does that gathering of Christians need to be organized in order to be considered a church? So this is the question that we're asking, and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, to find our answers for it this morning. So if you could stand as I read this passage and uh, get your eyes on it. It's on page 977 in the Pew Bible. Highly encourage you to open up a Bible and get your eyes on God's Word for yourself. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. The Apostle Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Lord, we pray that you would make this word come alive to us this morning. May you help us to understand your heart, your vision for the church and for the type of organization that we should have. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would center Park Community Church on your truth, not our own opinions, not our own perspectives, not our own preferences, but on you. Meet us where we're at, Lord Jesus, this morning. Some hurt by religion. And lead us to where you desire us to be. In your presence where there are pleasures forevermore and fullness of joy. We pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. 
So if I would summarize the biblical vision of the church based off of this passage and then kind of taking the whole New Testament in context, here's the biblical vision of the church. The church is a local family of disciples. Again, disciple means a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, someone who says, Jesus is my king, Jesus is my master, Jesus is my Lord, I want to follow him, I want to, I want to do what he has told me to do, I want to apply his word. And so the church is a local family of disciples who are committed to one another organized like a body, and submitted to Jesus, the head. That's a biblical definition of church. If we look at the New Testament, if we consider Ephesians 4, which we're going to do this morning, I think that summarizes for us what the church is and what the church is all about. And we're going to talk about the local aspect, but before we do, we have to keep in mind the church is also universal. The church is global. In fact, this is my favorite part about the church, is that it's all of God's people everywhere through all times, the universal church. It's people in Africa who are disciples of Jesus. It's people in Asia who are disciples of Jesus. It's people in South America who are disciples of Jesus. It's people in Europe who are disciples of Jesus. It's, it's people on our own continent, in our own cities, who are disciples of Jesus, who are gathered together. Last week we talked about the church. The church is called to gather Ecclesia is the Greek word for church in the New Testament. It means to be called out. We are called out of darkness into Christ's marvelous light, and we gather as a people. doesn't really matter the size. It's people who profess faith in Jesus Christ gathering together. That's the, the essence of the church, and it's, it's remarkably international, interdenominational, intercultural. That's amazing. It doesn't matter the denomination. Like, we're not saying you have to be evangelical free church of America, our denomination, in order to be a Christian and to, to be a part of a church. Or you don't have to be Assemblies of God, or you don't have to be Baptist, or you don't have to be Catholic, or you don't have to be Lutheran. In fact, you can be any of those and have a living, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And we are all united as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the universal church. People all around the world, different denominations, different backgrounds, different languages, worshiping Jesus, wanting to follow him. That's amazing. In fact, I personally want to just stay there. I, I want to just look at the global aspect of the church and look at how glorious and big God is and how diverse his family is and that we don't have to fall into these little theological camps and we don't have to do church the same way and we don't, we don't have to organize the same way. I want to stay in that global picture, that diverse global picture. But Scripture won't let us. If we look through the New Testament and read through the New Testament trying to understand what is the church, it has to get local. Yes, there's this global dimension, but there's this radical local dimension. And the reason I want to stay in the global dimension is because it's kind of easier, right? Like you can just look at this amazing, diverse, global movement and think that's really cool to be a part of. But then when you get into the local dimension, it means that you actually have to do life with people. And doing life with people is hard. Ask somebody who's been married for more than a day. <laughs> doing life with people takes work. And so the church, it boils down from this global dimension into this local dimension. The church is a local family of disciples. That's the first point here, that it's localized. It's, it's, yes, when you become a Christian, you enter this global movement, this international movement, this cross-cultural, cross-denominational, cross-generational diverse movement. 
That's amazing. You enter the universal church, all of the people everywhere who have submitted to Jesus as king. But that has to trickle down into some type of local expression. We're going to stay in Ephesians 4, but before we kind of dig into that, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. This is the beginning of the book. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, that means he's a, he's a leader. There's an appointed leader of the church. We'll, look at, we'll talk about that later on. But, but here's what Paul, one of the appointed leaders, is instructing the church with. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ. You, you, you see what it's teaching here? The church is not a place that you go to. The church is a people who you know. The church isn't a place you go, it's a people you know. Now, if you go to a place, like you are this morning, you went to a place, we call this a church building, this building is not the church. The church is not a place you go, it's a people that you know, and in order to know these people, you have to be committed to these people, you have to get to know these people. That's why if you've ever tried out a new church, it feels weird, right? I mean, in, in our culture, in American culture, there's churches all over the place, different worship styles, different preaching styles, different communities, different sizes, and you go around from church to church, and it feels different, right? And even if you're fully committed, it may take a while for you to feel like church because church is a family. It's a local family of people who you know. It's not a place that you go. And so Sunday morning is a worship event. It's an expression of the church. It's not the church. Now, the church inherently gathers. The church has to gather, whether that's in homes, whether that's in church buildings. But when you come here on a Sunday morning, this isn't church. This is an activity of the church. The church is the, the community. It's not a place you go. It's a people you know. It's a family of local disciples who are getting to know one another. Look at how Paul says this. To the saints. Now, if you believe in Jesus Christ, keep this in mind because, because the world will tell you and many churches will tell you and your own guilty conscience will tell you you're a sinner. Some of you don't like organized religion because you grew up in an organized religious environment where people are like, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. How dare you do that? You're bad. Clean yourself up. Stop doing that. Stop it. Get better. But here's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says. To the saints... If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your standing before God, the perfect Heavenly Father, is as a saint. In some religious traditions, you, you, can, you can become a saint, but you have to go through all sorts of rituals. You have to be an awesome person, right? But the truth of the gospel, what Jesus does when he transforms us and makes us new, is that any of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Isn't that amazing? God sees you as holy, righteous, blameless, above reproach in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your sin. As you continue to come to him, he calls you saint. Amazing. That has nothing to do with the local church. That just has to do with your identity in the gospel, and it's so good. Okay, to the saints. Paul, one of the appointed leaders, is calling the church family saints. But then he says, who are in Ephesus, See, there's this localized body. He's writing a letter to the church in a city, in Ephesus. There was this, this locational connection, this concrete group of people who were doing life together. It wasn't just this, this kind of abstract letter written to all Christians everywhere, to the universal church, kind of instructing the, the church at, at large. 
It wasn't like from the pastor who you podcast, who you love, or, or the author who writes books who you've never met. He doesn't know your name. You know his name because he's famous and you think his books and his podcasts are awesome, but he has no idea who you are. That's not this. This is Paul, right? And there's a time and a place for that. I mean, the internet has made it so amazing for us to get the best resources, the best teaching. But that's not this. This is Paul a pastor who actually lived in Ephesus for two to three years and started this church and pastored these people. He's writing to this organized, gathered group of people in a city. They are lo a local family. They're not switching around from church to church because they like the music here, they like the preaching there. And there's a time and a place, again, for you to figure out which church to belong to. But the point is here that he's writing to a group of people who have covenanted together. They're in Ephesus. There's, there's some locational connection for them. And ultimately, there's an identity connection for them in Christ to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. That's the other identity piece there. They are in Christ Jesus. They have this new identity. They've been baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the church is a local family of disciples. Scripture over and over and over again refers to the church as a family, as a body, as a flock, not as a place that you attend, a place that you go, but a people that you know. It's not an event. The church isn't singing a couple songs, hearing a sermon, and going on your way. That's an activity of the church, and it's an important, helpful activity of the church, but that's not the church. The church is a family. It's, it's, it's Grant and Amber with Hadley being embedded into this church family and, and having Hadley up front to be dedicated, saying, I want you to know us. That's why they do that. It, this isn't a place that they attend. It's a people that they know. Praise the Lord that we have a place to dedicate her, but, but this isn't church. This is an expression of the church. The church is a family, a local family of disciples, a local family of people learning to walk with Jesus together. I love how Eugene Peterson says this in his book, Same Obedience in, uh, Long Obedience in, in the Same Direction. He says, Our membership in a church is a corollary of our faith in Christ. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, you need to figure out how to get involved in a local church. And it doesn't have to be this church. This isn't a commercial for Park Community Church. Find a church family and embed yourself in that family. I keep our church membership covenant up by my desk because my most important role here in this church is not as pastor. It's as member. It's as your brother. It's that you are my brothers and my sisters. My wife, Brittany, and I are embedded in this family. Find a church family and commit to it. That's the second part of our biblical vision, our statement. It's, it's a localized group. It's a localized family of disciples who are committed to each other. Look at how Ephesians talks about this. Starting in verse 1. Again, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What do all of those things have in common? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. I think being a Vikings fan requires all of those things. <laughs> bearing with one another in losses, 
Um, no, they all require relationship, right? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You can't actually do that if you aren't committed to a local expression of the church. Am I right? If you jump from church to church for different experience here, different experience there, because you like the music here, you like the preaching there, or you just don't like the people over here, or forget organized religion, I want nothing to do with it, me and Jesus, we can do this thing together. Or me and Jesus and my three closest friends, we can do this thing together. Well, maybe you can practice some of this if you have a couple friends. But the point is you have to be in some kind of committed relationship with a local body of believers. The call here is to bear with one another in love. If you jump around from church to church, you're actually just leaving when you need to start loving. Or humility, gentleness, patience. It means embed yourself in such a way that actually it's going to require you to be gentle. Someone's going to rub you the wrong way and your reaction is going to be want to want to, who knows? However you respond when you get annoyed. We all respond differently, right? But the call is to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with that person. Don't leave that person. Love that person eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's a body committed to one another. And then verses 4 through 10 show us kind of this picture of both the universal church and the, and the local church. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's a picture of both this global universal church, but then also expressed in a local body. See, we're brothers and sisters with the other churches in St. Louis Park and the Twin Cities that are worshiping right now who may have different theological distinctives than us and who may worship in a different way. And, and, and don't cast stones at those churches. And so often I hear people like, wow, that church, they have, they have fog machines and lights. And Are you one body? Are you one baptism? Ah, that church, it's so boring and small. Are you one body? Are you one baptism? Have you been called to one Lord? And so remember the universal church, but then celebrate being put into the local expression of this church. It's this church committed. It's this group of people committed to one another. But it's not good enough to just be committed or to have good intentions of of being Christians together and being a church. We actually have to organize ourselves in some fashion. We have to organize, as the scriptures tell us, like a body. We're not going to go to the 1 Corinthians 12 passage, write that down. You can look at that on your own later on, but it matches with what we're being taught here in Ephesians chapter 4. So it's a local body committed to one another, but also we have to be organized. We can't just be... Um, we can't just be completely unorganized, just a bunch of people getting together, and then what? Right? Anytime, social dynamics, anytime you get a group of people together, there has to be some type of leadership or idea or initiative coming from somewhere, right? You know it from your family gatherings, from your friend groups. There's usually an instigator, someone like, hey, let's go boating today. You don't just get together and sit there and stare at each other. You used to go to Blockbuster and walk through the aisles for hours, but then eventually somebody would pick the movie. Now you go to Netflix and you scroll it for hours, but eventually somebody picks the show, right? 
organized like a body. This is what the scriptures are teaching us. Look at verses 11 through 16. So we saw local, committed, and now organized. Verse 11. And he, that he is God, he appointed, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's very important. We're going to come to that in just a minute. But, but look at how it continues, verse 16. From whom the whole body, see, organized like a body, a spine, legs, feet, toes, arms. Am I like getting into a song there? Hands, fingers, knees and toes, knees and toes, sorry. Um, organized like a body. Different parts doing their part. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint even the parts that you don't see, even the visible behind-the-scenes parts help join this body together in which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so the church is organized like a body. As the body functions, the body has different parts, different members. Have you ever tried to walk without a big toe? Probably not. I haven't either. If you have a big toe, you have a big toe. But I've heard from some people who have lost their big toe that it's incredibly hard to walk without your big toe. And so while we don't see our big toe and we don't think that's a prominent part of our body, if you lose your big toe, it affects your daily life. If you lose a hand, it affects your daily life. If you lose any particular member of the body, it affects everything that you do. And so the church is this organized group of people that, that learn how to function together like a body. At its simplest form, this organization requires some leadership and some membership. That's what we see here in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the shepherds. There's some leadership coming from those appointed leadership roles. So as an organized body, how much do we have to organize that's up for debate. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how to organize and how much to be organized and if we have to meet on Sundays and if we have to have a deacon of this or that or whatever, but, but the Bible definitely says that there's leadership and membership. Verse 11, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers, so there's leadership coming from these appointed people, and what's their role? To do everything? No. It's to equip the saints, that's the members, that's the people who make the church family up, to equip them to do the work. So, so the church exists to exalt Christ and to grow and organize like a body, to, to build one another up in love, and God appoints leaders to help equip the church to do the work for one another, to love one another, to care for one another. Not for the pastors or elders to be at everything, but to see that the church community is being formed and that the church community is loving one another and caring for one another. That you are doing the ministry for one another. Why? For building up the body of Christ as we love and serve one another. And if you jump around from church to church or you're not committed to a church, you're not going to experience the full benefits of the body. 
If you feel like you're falling through the cracks, maybe it's because you haven't jumped in with both feet and said, I'm here. I'll give it my everything, even though it may hurt in seasons. And so there's implied leadership here. There's also implied membership, verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. There's, there's this idea of membership, of belonging. And there's a certain level of organization that is required in the local church to make us function like a body. Now, it's at this point that there's a couple questions that often are asked. One of them is, do I need to be a member? Can I just attend and serve? Like, is membership in the Bible? They didn't make them sign some covenant or sign something. Isn't this where we get into kind of that organized religion hurts people, where leaders try to maintain control, exert power, and take money? Like, why do churches have organized official membership? It's a good question. And the reality is you do not have to become a member of a local church to be a member of the universal church. You can just attend and serve. And in fact, you can function more like a member without becoming an official member than somebody who's become an official member. But I, I want to pose to you just a couple, um, a couple reasons why I think all of us, whether it's Park Community Church or, or a different place, if you're here visiting this morning, consider your own church. Or if you haven't found a church, consider this as you think about getting involved in a church. Why should you become a member? Well, membership models the biblical church. I mean, we, we don't know if they had a form to sign or, or what their process was to becoming membership, but we do know that they knew who was committed. It wasn't just, just this random show up when you can, stay for a while until you get bored, and then find a different church that's more exciting for a season. It, they knew who was a part of their fellowship, as Paul writes in Ephesians 1.1, to the church in Ephesus. If you read Acts chapter 19 and 20, Paul spent time in Ephesus and he knew who the church was. They were committed to one another. They were gathered. And so we have a process of membership here at Park Community Church because we think that it models the biblical church more than just simply showing up and doing what you think you ought to be doing. That's, that's good. You can do that. But we think membership actually models the biblical church. Secondly, membership anchors your commitment. Rather than being tossed to and fro, like Ephesians says, to and fro by every wind of doctrine or by every preference of worship or by every desire of community, membership actually anchors you. It, it reminds you that I've committed to this local family and I'm not just going to bail when things get boring or tough or hard. It anchors you. It, it communicates to the church leadership that you're anchored, that you've made a commitment, that you're saying, I, I want to be anchored here. I want to be rooted in this community. And it reminds you that you are rooted in that community. You're anchored in a community. And then lastly, membership tells the elders who they're responsible for. Hebrews 13.7 tells church leaders that they are accountable to God for the people who are in their church. I'm actually accountable to God for the members of this church. That's terrifying. But God's gracious. Jesus forgives us for our sins. So when I screw up, there's grace there. But, but I take that pretty seriously. And our, and our elder team does. And whoever has become a member of our church, we actually spend time praying for our members. And we pray for anyone who comes to mind. If you're an attender and not a member, if you're new, as you 
fill out a connection card, drop it in the giving box, or communicate with us a prayer request, we pray for it. But we intentionally pray for our members. We have a list of anyone who's become a family member at Park Community Church, and we pray through that list of names because you have communicated to us that you're in and we're responsible for you, for how you're doing spiritually. If you attend here, you're not on that list, and we don't pray for you unless you tell us a prayer request or we hear about it through the grapevine. That's just how it is. The scriptures say that pastors, elders, leaders are responsible for the church, and we have to figure out who is our church. Is it anyone who wanders in on a Sunday morning and shows up to the event? We're glad that you're here, but, but what, at what level do you communicate, I'm all in, I'm committed? And so that's some, some of the reasons why we encourage membership. And then second question, can I trust church leaders? Great question. Who knows, Right? Who knows? Not always. Some of you have been hurt by church leaders. Organized religion hurts people, and that's because it, it, it's, it's, if we lose sight of the gospel, if we lose sight of like, what the scripture tells us, that Jesus is the head, and we start putting ourselves in a place of prominence, we do start to want to maintain control, exert power, and take people's money. And so some of you have been hurt by church leaders who have slipped into that. And so you're wondering, why would I commit to a church? People just hurt people, and leaders are deceptive, and leaders are manipulative, and leaders hurt people. Well, trust takes time to build. That's just the reality. So whether you're at Park Community Church or at another church, you're, you're considering which church to be involved in, or you're a non-Christian, you're like, should I ever be involved in a church? You're, you're curious, you're questioning Christianity. Well, just give yourself some grace and know that trust takes time to build. And so if you feel skeptical about church leaders, that's okay. Spend some time getting to know them. Spend some time asking questions. Spend some time building trust. And on the flip side, if you go to a church once and you're like, this place is awesome, everyone seems so great, I trust everybody, maybe slow down. Maybe get to know some people. Maybe ask some questions. Maybe start building some trust with the leadership. And then secondly, I would say you can only trust your church leaders as far as they are pointing you to submit to Jesus, the head of the church. Trust church leaders as far as they are pointing you to submit to Jesus, not to themselves, not to their own preferences and perspectives and theological ideas and camps and, and denominational whatever boxes, Trust church leaders as far as they're pointing you to submit to Jesus, the head of the church. That's the last portion of that statement, the biblical vision. Rather, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. Not Andrew, the lead pastor. Not Ben, the worshiping group's pastor. Not the elder team. I have some Legos in my pocket. <laughs> Star Wars Legos. May the fourth be with you. It's a gift for you guys. My son must have slipped those in there. What? <laughs> oh, man. The church is a family. I love that the church is a family because I am not formal enough to be a pastor otherwise. <laughs> Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. He's the guy in charge. 
All that we are striving to do is to follow him. Jesus, lead us. You are the good shepherd. You're the one who brings us to green pastures and leads us beside still waters. And so we want to live our lives in submission to him. Submission is a swear word in our culture. We're Americans. We submit to nobody. We're, we're enlightened. We know all the things. We are our own bosses. I don't submit to anybody. Well, the reality of being a follower of Christ is that your, your, your identity isn't as an American. It's as a follower of Christ. It's as a Christian. And so we live our lives submitted to Jesus the head. And some people don't want to get involved in a church because like, I'm not going to have anyone tell me what to do. I'm, kind of, I'm not going to become a member. I'll go and I'll do my thing and I'll do whatever I want, but I'm not submitting to leaders because they're all corrupt and crooked. They want to maintain control, exert power, and take my money. So I'll go, but I'm not going to submit, that's for sure. Well, we submit to Jesus as head, and Jesus has set up the church structure with a certain organi- with, in an organized fashion, with a certain organization, with leaders and members. And so we come together in our homes, in our church building, in our relationships, submitting together to Jesus, the head of the church. Look at how it ends. From, from whom, so Jesus is the head, and from him, the whole body. So he's the head, we're the body. Have you ever tried to move your body without first moving your head? It's hard. You can only go so far, right? If I, if I want to move that way, I, I have to turn my head. This is how the church is to be. Jesus is the head. He calls the shots. He tells us which way to go. And so we're living our lives in submission to him, wanting to, to grow up into him, be held together by him, every part doing its job as we grow up into the love of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? So this morning, we're going to take communion. The body of Christ, the church family, the church body, moving to the representative of Jesus' body given for us. His body was broken so that this body, his church body, the physical representation of him now on the earth could be made whole. So when you come to the table, two tables here in the front and one in the back, and you you take the broken cracker, remember Jesus' body broken for you, that you could be made whole in his body, the church. Remember his blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, that you could walk in this family as a saint, a redeemed sinner, not a sinner now, a saint. So if your faith is in Jesus Christ, regardless of your denomination, regardless of your background, we invite you to the table during this set of worship as we respond to the good news that Jesus is the head and his body was broken to make this body whole. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are that you lived the perfect life, the life that we are incapable of living. You died the sacrificial death in our place, on our behalf, and you overcame sin and death in the grave. Your body was broken that we might be made whole. So would you nourish us now with that truth as we sing and take communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.